We don't think design is just how it looks. We think design is how it works. Less than a year after the original iMac was announced, Apple unveiled another new computer design that radically transformed the Mac. It didn't get the acclaim that the iMac did, but in an era when most Mac users were using Power Macs, the release of the Power Mac G3 sent a clear message that the revolution being fomented by Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive wasn't going to be limited to a cute, low-cost, consumer computer. The Mac world had changed, and things were going to be different for professional users, too. Out with the old beige stylings of the previous Power Mac G3, in with a redesign, a new Power Mac G3 that was all blue and white, translucent plastic. It's 20 Macs for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. It's number 16, the blue and white Power Mac G3. So I was talking to Stephen Hackett. I have mine next to a beige Power Mac G3. (laughs) The contrast could not be greater. It really couldn't. And I was talking to John Syracuse. The one that came before, this always cracks me up, it was the, the beige G3 tower. Yeah. The one that had a little tiny piece of translucent... Little green plastic. It looked like sea glass. Sea glass, green, frosted yeah. plastic. That was like Johnny Ive saying, I'm here, I'm alive. Yeah, I, on, on an absolutely 100% beige uh-huh. computer. This is software developer James Thompson. I had one of the Power Mac G3 towers, and it was as beige as beige machines can be, and it was so boring. I'm not sure there's a more emblematic example of the transformation of Apple from its mid-90s blahs to the return of Steve Jobs than what happened to the Power Mac G3. With the exception of that little green plastic design flourish, the old Power Mac G3 was a beige box, the beigest of beige boxes. It was replaced by a computer with the same name, but it was one that was very clearly made by the same people who had made the iMac. I was working at Apple at the time, and I remember that this was one of the first Macs I ever saw prior to an official announcement. Not in like the fanfare of a keynote or in a slick marketing image, but sitting in a corridor with stuff piled up on top of it. And I remember walking past and doing that sort of double take and looking at it and thinking, what on earth is that? It was clearly iMac-like, but it wasn't an iMac. This whole machine was translucent. Here's Christina Warren. The Power Mac G3 is completely Johnny Ive in and out. This is my Six Colors co-conspirator, Dan Morin. I love the design of it. Like, it it looks kind of ridiculous from the outside. It's huge. It's heavy as hell. I loved this computer. I think a lot of people who live through this have a soft spot for this era of Mac hardware because it was the iMac era. We went from the beige boxes to being daring and interesting and having cultural impact from computer design. And the reason I love the Power Mac G3 so much is because Apple, A, continued to make a quote-unquote professional computer, the big tower computer in that form, and B, they didn't say this design, that's for the iMac, that's for the consumer models, but the pro ones... The pro ones are going to be serious slash boring. We can't do that. No, they took the exact same design language from the iMac, their flagship consumer computer, and applied it to their professional computers in a daring way. It wasn't like they took a box and just painted it teal, right? I loved that aspect of the G3 that it really borrowed from the iMac styling to feel like it established its own personality. But it was still like a tower, essentially, at the end of the day. Here's my former Mac user colleague, Shelly Brisbane. 
I mean, remember, we're, we're in iMac time frame now, and you felt like this was a machine that a serious person might want if for some reason a flower or an orange computer was just too much for them to handle. The, the blue and white G3 sort of towed that line of being very Apple, but also very reasonable thing on which to spend your money and do your work on. It was symmetrical from the side. It was like iconic with some curves and these organic handles going out of it. I love even just the detailing on the side with the the Apple logo with the G3 written behind it. Translucent plastic, G3 on the side that you could see through the translucent case with the Apple logo and all that other stuff. The pinstripes from the iMac. And that in the end, it was also a very interesting, capable tower design. It was such a commitment all the way down to the keyboard and mouse to say, we're not reserving our best design just for the one we're going to sell a lot of, just for the flagship one that's on all the billboards on the road. We're going to make our professional products look just as good and be just as cool and have the same type of matched set of accessories to make you want to buy them all together. Truth is, a lot of professional users back then were, hmm, let's call them extremely skeptical about bringing an iMac-colored Mac Tower into their lives. I guess I can hide it under my desk, one publishing professional was quoted as saying. Which was true, but if you bought a monitor to go with it, you couldn't hide that, because Apple designed displays that were color-matched to the Power Mac G3, and they looked like no monitor you'd ever seen before. The big whale monitors with the weird tripod legs, which I love because it lets you slide papers under the monitor. Translucent white plastic, yep. Right, Uh in two different sizes, 17-inch and the the giant 21-inch, with cool design. They were basically shaped kind of like gumdrop iMacs with the cool vents on the back. It was huge. It was like a washing machine. It was gigantic, but it looked cool from the back because it was all teal and and sculpted and had the, the three little feet thing. Now, if all the blue and white G3 had added was some flash that its beige predecessor had been lacking, it would not be remembered as fondly as it is. But beyond the iMac-style translucent plastic, this was the most accessible Mac ever. And it introduced a whole bunch of new technologies that laid the groundwork for all the Macs that would follow it. It really was a, a new Mac inside and out. It totally lived in the shadow of the iMac G3, which I think is unfortunate because the in a way the Power Mac is maybe just as important or more important because at this time, Apple was still a company that was mostly for prosumers and up. That really changed with the iMac, but it took a few years. Let's start with the most notable feature of this computer. You could pull a plastic tab at the top of one side of its case and the entire side of the computer would open up. The big door that comes out on the side where you can see all the guts of the computer with no tools required. Apple had never done anything like that. You just pulled on that little tab and the whole thing swung down and the logic board was mounted on the side of the door and you got this much easier access to the internals of the machine without lacerating your fingers, taking out shielding and things like that. At the time, I was working in IT department, and I spent a lot of time pulling RAM and hard drives and all this stuff out of uh, PCs, and it was so annoying. You'd have to like unscrew these cases and pull them off and then stick your hands in there, and you'd invariably like, cut yourself up on the, the frame And the G3 just had this door, and you just unlatched it, and it swung down, and there were all the components. And it was so easy to upgrade that I was like putting, you know, I put all my own RAM in, uh, I put extra hard drives in. I think in the Beige Mac era, the balance between form and function very often tilted towards function, right? You can open a Beige Mac, but usually it's pretty terrible inside and kind of messy. It was kind of, you know... 
hard to get in there and the door came off but there was lots of sharp metal bits and the blue and white g3 tried to sit in between there's this great line when jobs introduces it you know he's talking about you know our pro users want to get inside and upgrade their stuff over time and put in new hard drives and he says we have the best access story in the business it's called a door we don't think design is just how it looks we think design is how it works and we labored a lot on this because our pro customers want accessibility. They know there's a lot of great technology inside, but they want access to that technology instantly to add memory, to add cards, to add drives. And so we think we've got the most incredible access story in the business. And you know what it's called? It's called a door. Just a really nice piece of, of showmanship from Steve. Here it is, and all the ribbon cables just fold down and everything is all still connected. You can access the CPU, the memory, all the drives, the drive bays, you name it. You know, we all equate the quote with design is not how it looks, design is how it works. Uh, that also comes from this keynote when he's talking about things like the handles, which were really nice. You pick it up and move it around. Mm -hmm. The handles, a hallmark of Apple's tower designs introduced with this computer. Having that real easy to access thing, which was a very, I don't want to say peak Apple design, but definitely in that kind of perfect era where it wasn't all about thinness. It wasn't all about having just like the perfect silhouette. It was really about bold designs, but then also being really functional. Here's longtime Mac columnist Andy Anatko. The understanding that what if we put two really, really beefy handles on the front and the back of it? Because sometimes you do have to lug a desktop uh, from one place to another, even if it is a tower machine. And of course, the door and the layout on the back. It really was well thought through, and so many beige Macs felt like, well, the port's here because that was just the easiest place to put it, or it opens this way for this reason that no one cares about, or why would we round down the sharp metal edges inside? It's just easier to stamp steel out of a machine. And starting with the blue and white, the, the desktop Macs really began to reflect the new sensibility that Steve and others brought into the company. While the iMac was essentially a closed system, one not really designed to be opened and tinkered with at all, the PowerMac G3 was designed to be as easily upgradable as possible. It's a sensibility that survives to this day with the Mac Pro. The sort of feature that everybody points to about the blue and white, that the, the design was so great in terms of opening it up and adding memory or whatever you wanted to add to it. It was just so elegant. And, you know, I'm somebody whose first Mac was a Mac Plus, and so I'd been using Torx wrenches to get into Macs for years. Nothing was as just elegant and beautiful as the blue and white. And you could even open it up. It could still be sitting under your desk. You could open it up, and you could take a card out or put one in. I even swapped the processor up to a G4 at some point because you could do that. You could pop out the processor and put in like a daughter card with a new processor in it. It's the one case where, you know, people are always like, I wish I could upgrade my Mac and make it work for much longer. That was the one computer I had where I did that, where I actively put more and more stuff into it to prolong its life. And it ended up, I think at least through the mid 2000s, I was using that. Now I had a Power Mac G4, which was really just a continuation of the Power Mac G3. I installed uncountable hard drives in that thing, along with a new video card, a new processor at one point. And in an era where it was so easy to cut yourself on the sheet metal from which most PCs were constructed, that drop-down door kept me safe, secure, unscarred. But 
Beyond its looks and its functional design, the blue and white G3 was also a landmark computer that pointed the way toward the future of the Mac. Apple removed onboard support for the SCSI connection standard that had been there since almost the beginning. Keep in mind, this was a Mac that was meant to be sold to professional users. They had an enormous investment in high-end SCSI peripherals for publishing and things like that. And it replaced it, not just with the same USB ports found on the iMac, but also with a new high-speed technology seen for the first time in a Mac, FireWire. Talking about the iMacification of the Power Mac, the, the blue and white in particular is such a huge story when it comes to I.O. I would imagine that in the professional world, things like no SCSI was uh, a pretty big deal. And you could add a SCSI card, of course, but they moved it to USB. This is the machine that Apple introduced FireWire with. And, you know, FireWire is one of those technologies that we just don't think about very much anymore. But it really was so much faster than USB. Apple really continued to use this design for many years after the blue and white faded away. And I mean that literally. The original Power Mac G4 was just the blue and white G3 design with its colors toned down to shades of gray. I don't know, maybe Apple had heard enough from people complaining that they didn't want to have this thing on their desktop, decided they had pushed it a little too far with the iMac-style colors. And so gray became the color of serious Mac work. It it does show how awkward Apple was at dealing with the success of the Bondi Blue iMac <laughs> design language, that it took off so hard and so high and became such a signature that Apple felt as though now everything has to have echoes of that design. And it doesn't translate all that well to what it really has to be just a box-shaped tower machine. Here's Daring Fireball's John Gruber. You could kind of look at the Power Mac G3 in particular with the coloring that was the Bondi blue of the iMac. And if you didn't really know, you wouldn't know if they were meant for professionals or consumers based on just the look and the feel and the materials. It's the one colorful Pro Mac because right after that, they went to the G4 that had sort of the gray-silver design. It's like, eh, it's fine, but it looks a little blah compared to the blue and white. And then they went to all the aluminum and the metal, and it looks slick, but it doesn't look fun. <laughs> it, it's not that everything has to be fun. Like, I really like the sort of elegant design of the current pro hardware, and, you know, in general, Apple's design, you know, that the current aesthetic of their laptops and everything. But I, I feel like you have to be going for something. You can't kind of end up in the middle. And so this was very clearly the era where Apple was going to make everything stand out and be fun and shiny and lickable and organic from the software to the hardware. And I really enjoyed that. So if Apple wants to get fanciful, I actually think doing it on the weird tower computers is a place you can do it. And arguably, the weird holes in the front of the Mac Pro are kind of fanciful. Like, they're not there for a reason. If you just made regular circular holes, the air would go through just as well. There's no reason to make holes like this, except that it's beautiful and quirky. So no, it's not teal and pinstriped, but it is more interesting than it might have been. The Power Mac G3, that's a moment in time. I think if you made a computer like that today, it would seem retro, or it would seem like a callback to a bygone era rather than being forward-looking. I'm not really holding my breath for a return to this era, but I always remember it as a... A moment in time when it just seems like everything Apple was doing was amazing and fun and just, you know, stars were in all of our eyes. You know, I have to admit, I miss those days. I miss how Apple took big design risks back then. Its back was against the wall, it didn't have anything to lose, and it wasn't interested in conservative designs. Today, all Macs are metallic. Silver aluminum 
is the new beige. The blue and white G3 showed that professional Macs, at least for a moment, could be fun. Today's Apple seems to believe that while iPhones can be fun, Macs, especially professional Macs, are deadly serious. I think it's high time for another blue computer. White translucent plastic, optional. This has been 20 Max for 2020. It was written by me, Jason Snell. Thank you to the participants, Andy Anatko, Christina Warren, Dan Morin, John Gruber, James Thompson, Shelley Brisbane, John Syracusa, and Stephen Hackett. Brian Hamilton added some production help. I'll see you next week with number 15.